we uh, we actually had discussed amongst some of the leaders about canceling today, whether we were going to cancel or not. I said, hey, let's just have church. Amen. Those that come will come. And then I told my wife this morning, I said, you know, I don't know, you know, if we, how many people there'll be, be be there today. I said, I might just do a condensed version. She said, oh, yeah, you're going to do condensed for the people that came? She said, I don't think so. <laughs> Y'all don't know how tough she is. She, she said, no, you're not going to condense it for the ones that come. So, uh, amen. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas yesterday. And and uh, we're just glad to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. I'm going to go ahead and let you be seated. Uh, you know, two weeks ago, of course, last Sunday we had our little church uh, Christmas party, I guess, our little meal together. That was wonderful. And the Sunday prior to that, I was talking to you and preaching about uh, forgiveness, something we talk about fairly often around here. And uh, and I received this, this uh, question. We get a lot of questions at times. Sometimes we'll go a while and not get many. <clears throat> but this person wrote... Uh, and I, I doubt that I speak on anything that brings more questions than forgiveness. Uh, you know, I, it's like what Pastor Johanna was talking about, that they were discussing God's goodness. And uh, again, I've said this before, you just cruise through Facebook, some of the social media sites, and you'll see, you know, among those that call themselves, and, and are, I'm not questioning they're not Christians, but man, they have a wide uh view, a very legalistic view, and you see so many things that are, p are presented as a threat, you know, like God's threatening, uh, you know, and then, of course, they put their take on it, and of course, most of the times when they're doing that, if you'll notice, they're quoting stuff out of the Old Testament. Uh, they're not quoting things out of the New Testament, particularly beyond the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and, uh, you know, I, I just was reading yesterday where somebody, you know, was quoting out of out of James, and they were talking about, you know, you reap what you sow, and and, and and then they went on to comment about it, but they posted that, and, and, and you, it was obvious just reading it, it was, the scripture was used as a threatening thing, in other words, God's going to get you, you're going to reap what you sow, and that's not at all the context of the verse, it was talking about money, and, uh, you know, and, and, and that's actually what it was talking about, but they were like, God's going to get you, you know, and you're going to be paid back, and and all this kind of stuff. I, I guess one of the greatest uh, revelations that can come to a person is when they realize when the New Testament actually begins. And, and many of you, and most of you probably have heard me say this, but the New Testament does not begin where your Bible says it begins. It does not begin in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, the actual New Testament or New Covenant actually is, a, is the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it does not go into force I mean, those that a will does not go into force until the person dies, right? They can have the will, but it doesn't go into force. The, the property's not going to be exchanged or transferred until the death of the person that made the will, right? And so the New Testament does not begin until Jesus Christ dies on the cross. And at that resurrection, then that's when that the, all the benefits of the new covenant are ours from that point forward. We are no longer under law, but we are under grace. That's why sin does not have dominion over us. Can somebody say amen to that? And if you get that confused, if you don't know when the New Testament actually begins, uh, then you're going to be a very confused person, and you're actually reading the Bible, but it's confusing you. Um, this person wrote uh, just a few days ago, and and uh, she says, I'm curious of your take that... Uh, on if you confess your sins, uh, he is faithful and just to forgive us. That's always a question that I get uh, because it's the only verse in the Bible that seems to link confessing with forgive, forgiveness. And that's the, always the one that people trot out as their proof text that you must, you know, confess your sins in order to be forgiven. And the story goes something like this. When you get saved, God's forgiven you for, for every sin that you've committed up to that point. And then from that point forward, then that's on you. In other words, you have to confess your sins as you do them, one by one. And if you don't confess one, then you're not forgiven because you didn't confess. And they link confession and forgiveness together. 
And uh, so, in other words, what they teach and preach and, and talk about is that actually what causes God to forgive you is your confessing. And so that puts your salvation on you. That makes, you know, you're the one that's going to decide if you go to heaven or not, not God. And if you don't have a good memory or if you forget one, then you're doomed. Isn't that a wonderful gospel? But most of the people in this room, that's what we were raised under. That's what we were taught. And they may have not have come at it, you know, uh, you know, you know, just like that, just that straight. But that's what they're teaching because uh, they don't believe in, you know, forgiveness of future sins. And as I said a hundred times, that all of our sins were future when Jesus died on the cross. And so she, she goes on to write that I'm curious about what that verse means. She said, Is, isn't there a place for confessing? Uh, I agree that Jesus paid the price, but I'm curious about forgiving others. Uh, isn't there a place of forgiving them, letting them go? Uh, I'd love a little clarity on those things, like the rules, forgiving a debt, and then the man didn't forgive someone else. What she's referring to is the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 18. And then I'm not going to read all that for you, but in Matthew 18, Jesus deals with a parable about a question that Peter asked him. And Peter asked him, he says, uh, if my brother sins against me, how many times do I have to forgive him? Seven. And, of course, then Jesus responds to Peter's, you know, uh, question to the Lord with this parable, and he, and he gives this parable that I'll talk about in just a second. But there's two statements in the Bible that seem to contradict each other. Uh, I mentioned this one two weeks ago in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. These are words in red. These are words of Jesus. But they are spoken by Jesus according to the law. And Jesus, the Bible says in Galatians, Jesus was born under the law to redeem them under the law. And he's talking about the Jewish people who were at that time under the old covenant living by the law. And Jesus brought the law up to its pristine standard. Does that make sense? So when Jesus began his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, uh, he, he is preaching the law to these law keepers, supposedly. In other words, in their minds, they were doing a good job. They were satisfying the requirements of the law, and therefore they should be acceptable by God. Uh, they, they said they hadn't committed adultery, and the fact that they physically had not committed adultery, so they judged themselves as they had obeyed that commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery or whatever. And, of course, Jesus comes along and says, if you ever looked at somebody and lusted, then you're guilty of adultery. How many sees he brought the law up to his pristine standard? They had said, we, we don't, we've never killed anybody, so we're a pretty good person. We hadn't committed murder. Jesus said, if you've ever, he said, that's what you've heard it said. But I say unto you, if you've ever hated your brother, you're guilty of murder. So I told you what Jesus did is made everybody listen to the sermon, an adulterer and a murderer. And he brought the law up. See, they had watered down the standard of God. And they had watered down what the law of God was. And so Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law, and he fulfilled the law in every point. And then he credited our account with the fulfillment of that law. So in God's eyes, when we accept Christ Jesus, we, are, we have fulfilled the commandments of the law because Christ fulfilled them for us. But Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 14, he says, If you forgive, if, conditional, you forgive men their sin, uh, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. He goes on the next verse, says, but if you don't forgive them, neither will your Father forgive you. Now, preachers climb in the pulpit, and they read that verse, and they say it's words in red, which they put it in a higher category because it's words in red, which Jesus said, kind of deal. And, and, and then they, they throw that on you, and they say, if you don't forgive you know, everybody, then God don't forgive you. And then most of them go on to add that you're cut off. God don't hear your prayers. That's why, you know, that's why you're having all the problems, you know, because God, basically God's mad at you. God's turned his back on you. God's not listening to anything you say until you do things right, and then God will turn around and listen to you again. How many have been kind of taught that kind of a deal? And, you know, and, and it's hard to deny it if you don't know that the New Testament is not enforced, and Jesus is preaching law to these people, and he's showing them their need for a Savior because no one could keep the law. No one ever has kept the law but Jesus Christ himself. And so it seems like, you know, you read that verse, and then over in Colossians 3.13, uh, Paul writing, he says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And so, it's, you know, those two verses are in, in contradiction of each other. So which, one do you, which one's right? Let me ask you this. Do you spot the difference in those two verses? Well, the first statement that Jesus said, the forgiveness starts with who? Starts with us. 
In other words, if we don't forgive, if we forgive, then God forgives. You see, it starts with us. But the second statement that Paul made, it says, forgive because forgiveness begins with God. You forgive because God has forgiven. Do you see the difference in that? And, and, and so which is it? it? Does it begin with us or does it begin with God? Well, that's why Jesus answered that in Matthew chapter 18. And he gave that the long extended parable, and then it goes something like this, that Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. Now, now one of the servants owed a huge debt. Uh, no way he could pay that debt. And to satisfy the debt, the king, uh, taking an account of that debt, planned to sell that servant into bondage, his whole family, and all of his possessions. And so when that servant heard that, uh, Jesus said that he begged for mercy. And, and the king, you know, heard that cry. He took pity on him, the Bible says, and he canceled the debt uh, of that servant. Now, I, I want you to pause for a moment, and I want you to think about this. I want you to put yourself in the place of that servant, because that's why Jesus was telling that parable. Now, listen, you're on the verge of being sold into slavery. Your wife is going to be sold into slavery, and she's going to be the property of another man. Your kids will also be sold into slavery. That's what the parable says, your wife and children. And, and you'll likely never see them again, and they'll be separated and sold into bondage to be slaves to satisfy the debt that you owe. Uh, there, there's not a thing that you can do. You have no way of paying this debt, and you have no legal recourse against it. That's the position of that man. And then what happens is you cry out for mercy, and the, the king hears that cry. And by the command of that king, your debt, there's no way you can pay, is instantly canceled. And everything that you hold dear to your heart is restored to you. Isn't that awesome? Now, wouldn't you go home, wouldn't you go from that place singing praises to that king? Wouldn't you do like we sung on the last song, uh, that, that king is good. What a good, good king, king that is. I mean, you'd be wanting to shout that from every rooftop to how great the, uh, this king is because you would go home and, and you could hug your wife, you could, you could enjoy your kids knowing that because of the mercy of that king, you now have a future together that you did not have a few moments ago. I mean, of course you would. That would, that would be the, the proper response to that kind of forgiveness and mercy. But, but that's, not what the, that's not how the story goes. And in the story, that's not what the man did. No, he, he walked out of the king's presence totally unchanged. You hear me? He walked out of his presence unchanged. In the very next verse, the man that had been forgiven such a great debt, Jesus said, he finds a person who owes him a very small amount of money, and he demanded payment from that man. And actually, the, the Bible says he grabbed him by the throat. It says he grabbed him by the throat and demanded that he pay him. And the man said the same thing to him that he had said previously to that king. He said, have mercy on me, and I'll pay you all that I owe. And, and, and the man wouldn't listen to it. Uh, and and he, he, was a, he, he was an unmerciful servant, and he had him thrown into prison, and, and, so, and, he, and he had no mercy at all on him. And so later, the king heard about what this man that he had forgiven everything for, and so what he does is he tells his servants to go get the man and turn him over to the tormentors until he paid this off. He reversed his decision. Now, a lot of people, when they read that parable, when, when, when I didn't understand this, in other words, Jesus is telling this parable. Now, you've got to remember this. Jesus is answering a question that Peter asked him about. Peter said, how often do i got to forgive somebody, my brother, when he sins against me? Seven times? In other words, Peter wanted a limit. <laughs> you know, Peter's that guy. He wants to know, okay, I'll forgive you seven times. Eighth time, I'm knocking you out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he wants to be that guy. I want to know where this stuff ends. You know, apparently he had somebody bothering him, doing harm, and he wants, he's tired of forgiving this guy. And so he asked Jesus this question. Now, now a lot of people think that, that, that the purpose of this story, and I've heard preachers preach it like this. In other words, that, and, and because the last verse of Matthew 18, Jesus finishes the parable, and he looks around at the people, and he says, So shall the Lord do also unto you. If you forgive not his brother, your brother, his trespasses from your heart. How many can see that a preacher could take that verse and beat the Hades out of you with it and really lock you down? 
again, Jesus is preaching the law to the law, to the law keepers. Are you with me? And he's showing them the difference between what grace is and the forgiveness of God and where it starts and where, and where, where it ends. And it's not a lesson like a lot of people think. You know, it's not a morality tale. Um, but, but it's a picture of how heaven is where forgiveness begins. In other words, how heaven invades earth. Jesus is making it very plain to us that forgiveness begins with God and not with man. Each of us has a debt that we could not pay to God. There's no way we could pay our sin debt. Are you with me? And, and his mercy, uh, God paid the debt. He, he's the one that paid the debt. And, and, and the debtor's law that stood opposed to, 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 to all of us was totally fulfilled in Jesus' payment on the cross. And so there's only two responses to that. Uh, to, there's only two responses to grace, to God's generosity. One response is to just simply say, thank you, Jesus. What, what amazing grace this is. I, I just can't get over it. Uh, I'll be forever grateful. I'll tell everybody that I will listen to me, uh, the things that you've done and how great you are and how good you are. Uh, the other response is like the servant in the story, uh, is to remain unchanged um, by the goodness of God. You've seen the goodness of God. You've heard about the goodness of God. But you just shrug your shoulders. You walk out of that. Uh, uh, where you've heard about God's goodness and you just said, no, I'll, no, thank you, I'll take care of it myself. In other words, I'll, I'll pay for it myself. Now, now, this is where that issue comes from. Why, where, where does forgiveness come from and, and why does it matter where it comes from? Now, listen to me. If, if you think that forgiveness starts with you, then what's going to happen, you've you got to show forgiveness in order to get forgiveness. Are you with me? And I want to tell you, a lot of Christians, that's exactly where they live. You, you, you will forgive others. You, you'll forgive them. You'll try your best to. You'll forgive them, but you will forgive them uh, out of uh, an obligation. Uh, it, it'll be out of your sense of insecurity. Uh, your religious duty is to forgive everybody. You better forgive them. Because if you don't, the Lord won't forgive you. And, 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 and if you, listen, if you succeed in forgiving people, I said if you do, if you succeed in forgiving them, then you know what you'll do? You, you'll feel pride. You, 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 it'll give you a false sense of entitlement. Now, I'm entitled to something because I did what God said. I, I forgave. But then, if, listen, if you fail to forgive them, if you really deep down in your heart of hearts don't believe that you have truly forgiven them, then, then what you're going to feel is condemnation. You're going to feel condemned. Now, I want to tell you something. In either case, you are not improving your standing before God, not one bit. But if you ascertain, if you apprehend grace, what Jesus did for you on the cross, that he paid for all of it, I want to tell you something. It will radically change your life. It will change your view of everything. And it, and, and it will transform you from a selfish sinner into an ambassador of God's goodness. You'll do just like that last song. You will, you will tell everybody about a good, good father, how good he is. And you know what it will cause you to do? Listen to me. It will cause you to show mercy to other people. It will cause you to be merciful to other people. Not because, listen, not because you have to, but because you want to. Why? Because God has been so good to you, and you are overwhelmed by God's grace and goodness to you. And it'll make forgiveness just be something to flow out of you. you it, it is, man, I feel God on that little part right there. Don't you? Amen. Come on, praise him. <clears throat> I thought somebody turned the air conditioner on a minute, but then I really realized it was the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit in you will lead you to do what the Bible says. You'll pray for your enemies. And you know what? You'll bless those that curse you. You'll pray. Not, not because you have to, but you, you'll be moved to do this because they're, 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 because of God's grace to you. Uh, the, the next time somebody wrongs you, and you've lived long enough, right? You know they will. <laughs> so the next time that you're wrong, don't, don't think, I, I, this is how a law-keeping, law-mixed, grace-mixed Christian thinks. They think, well, I better forgive them. Because if I, if I want God to forgive me, that's the wrong way to think. 
there, there's no power in that thinking. Instead, remember what Jesus has already done for you and then appreciate that gift, thank God for that gift, and thank God for that forgiveness, and it will cause you to release that person that's hurt you and wronged you. Amen? But see, because of Jesus Christ, the debt against you has been fully paid. Fully paid. But uh, because of Christ, the, the, the righteous law, the commands of the law that condemned you and me has been satisfied totally. That's why I told you two weeks ago that the Bible says Jesus was the propitiation for not only our sins but for the sins of the world. And I told you that word propitiation means satisfying atonement. In other words, Jesus' sacrifice satisfies God. Let it satisfy you as well. Because of Christ, you've been freed from the slave market. You, you don't ever have to fear the wrath of the king, ever. The Bible says, I, I love this different translation of Romans 4, verse 7 and 8. It says, happy are those whose wrongs have been forgiven, whose sins are pardoned. Happy is the persons whose sins the Lord will not keep account of anymore. The Lord's not, the Lord's not keeping a record. Um, you know, when people write us and they, they, they ask these questions, you know, like the lady said, well, is there a place for forgiveness? And I hope I just answered that about forgiving others. But is there a place for confessing? Now, again, we, we need a grace glossary. We need a grace dictionary. We need a, a, a dictionary that defines words that the church does not know what they mean. And, and I told you there's a long list of those words. The word repent, what does that word mean, church? You, you should know this at Grace Point. What does the word repent mean? Think differently. It's the Greek word metanoia. It means to think differently, think differently. So when the Bible uses the word repent, but now when the, word, when the church uses the word repent, what do you think they mean? They mean repent. You better repent. What does the church mean when they say the word? Most Christians, when they say repent, they mean get your butt to the altar, <laughs> fall on your face, and tell God how sorry you are for being bad. Am I wrong? Mm, come on now. See, they don't even know what the word means. It means think different. So when Jesus was preceded by John the Baptist preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here comes Jesus preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within grasp. It's within reach. If there's something within hand, if you're sitting at the table and you say pass me the salt, I say it's within hand. That means you can reach it. Just reach for it. Don't be lazy. Just reach out and grab it. It's right there. It's within your reach. You can grasp it. The kingdom is within your reach. Don't be lazy. You, you, it's within your reach. Jesus said, you got to think differently. You got to think. This is, Jesus came bringing a new covenant. He, he wasn't putting a paint job on the old one. That's why you have to think differently. And so to, to, to fully accept God's grace, how many of us had to learn to think differently? I mean, I've had to think differently about some things that I grew up thinking about God that were not true, like Pastor John was saying. You know, don't, don't accuse God of things he's not guilty of. And that, I guess that's one of my most motivating things. I, and, it, and it makes me feel sorry. My heart breaks for people that I see that's got that view of God. And then I realized there was a time that I had that very similar view of God. I saw him as very judgmental, a God that would be angry, a God that all these things that were just absolutely not true. People are just putting, I've seen people, I see, you know, over the last few weeks, I've seen people put up pictures of books and, and, uh, and, and they're recommending these books to people and they're saying, this book was a blessing. And, and like one guy was pushing a book about, you know, uh, curses and blessings. And I'm familiar with the book. And the book says, if you do this, 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 and they got all these rules, then God will bless you. If you don't, you're under a curse. And, and, and they don't even read Galatians says that Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law of sin and grace. But they can nobody teach to you about curses, generational curses and all that mess. You will never hear a preacher teach anything from the New Testament about that because it doesn't exist. 
And it, it really doesn't exist in the Old Testament, not in the way that you think. Deuteronomy talks about the blessings and curses, and that was when they were being read the law. And under the law, there were blesses and curses of their obedience, and it was contingent upon them. But, but we're not under the law now. Jesus came to redeem us, and he has redeemed us. Amen? Uh, but so people say, you know, where is there a place for confessing sin? L listen to me. God's your papa. You can talk to him about anything you want to talk about. So if you want to go in your place of prayer and you want to talk to him about your sin, have at it. But, but, but I want to tell you something. Uh, there, there, is, there is a, a difference between healthy confession and unhealthy confession. Now, the word confession is another word. I just talked about the word repentance. So the word confession, what does it mean? When, when the church says confess, what do they mean? As a whole, broad brushstroke. Confess what? What are they talking about? Confessing what? Your sin. They, they, when, when you hear the average Christian say you need to confess, they're, they're saying to you that you need to confess what? Your sins. Why do they want you to confess? Because most of the Christians running around don't think you're forgiven unless you confess. But what does the word confess, confession mean? We, you know, we think confession is the person going into the, uh, you know, the, the Catholic church and getting in the booth and says, Father, forgive me for our sins. And then they start naming all their sins. And then they look for the man to say, well, say this many Hail Marys and this many this and that, and then you'll be forgiven. In other words, you've got to do something. You've got to pay the price. So in other words, Jesus didn't pay the price for sin. Now you've got to pay it. You see, what, you see, what, you see how ridiculous this stuff is? And, and don't just jump on the Catholics because the Protestants are just as bad. So here we trot out 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and we say the Bible says if you, if you, you, know, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your all sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so here we, we, we shove that confessing principle on everybody else, and it's the same deal, and it's the same difference. It's, it's, it's just not true. Paul was, I mean, John was writing to people that were not born again, and that's very clear in the Bible. Uh, John actually says in 1 John that, that, that your sins have been forgiven. Um, and so he's talking to two different people. That, that's, what, that's why that 1 John comes out. But everybody quotes verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But, but what you've got to understand, this verse is to unbelievers. That nowhere does any scripture, listen, say that a believer is, is or has unrighteousness. Nowhere. So Paul actually, I mean, John actually says here that once you've been a Christian, you are cleansed from all unrighteousness. Well, here he's telling people that if they'll confess their sins, and by the way, the word sin there is not a verb, it's a noun. So he's not talking about what they do, their actions. He's talking about sin itself, the entity called sin. And most Christians don't understand that. But he is faithful and just to forgive us of our noun, sin, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, that if we say we have no sin, again, not a verb, but a noun, if, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And that's when, then the next verse he says, if you confess sin. In other words, if you confess sin, he was writing to people that were sin deniers. He, he, he said, he, he, he's writing to people, and he has, he has people that are you, and, and then he said we. And, and he actually says, that he wanted those people to have fellowship with the Father like he was having fellowship with the Father. Now, who is it that has fellowship with the Father? The Bible is very clear on that, those that have been born into the family of God. And, and, and so First uh, John chapter 1, verse 3, he says, That which we have seen and heard we do declare to you. And this is what he says, that you also, now he's talking, who is you? These people that are not born again, that you also. Now, see, he starts out and says that w that which we. So we got we and we got you. The we are people that's been born again. The you he's talking to is people that are not born again. He says, now, that which we have seen, that we have heard, we declared it to you. That you also may have fellowship with us. 
And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He was writing to a people that were called Gnostics. And they denied that sin was even an issue. They denied that sin even existed. And they taught that sin did not even exist. It's just that it wasn't even true. And that's why that Paul went on to say that if you say you have no sin, you make God out a liar. Because Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. And if you say it don't even exist, you're saying God's lying. Do you see what I'm saying? And so he's not making that one verse a contingent thing on Christians that you've got to confess each sin one by one and maintain your salvation once you're born again. Now, if you get a hold of that right there, I just freed you for the rest of your life. I just unlocked the lock and throwed it in the, in the ocean. You're done. Okay? Now, what, what determines that is whether you believe what I just said or not. Now, let me finish with this. Word confess. What does confess mean? When, the, when I told you, when the church says it, and most church folk, when they say confess, they're talking about confess your sin. But the word confess is the Greek word homo logos. Homo, same kind. Logos, the word of God. Say the same thing that the word of God says. In other words, confessing means agreeing with God. It means to agree with God. So when I confess, my confession should be in agreement with God. Regardless of what's going on here, my confession should agree with God. That's why the Bible teaches, let the weak say, thank you, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. In other words, you're not denying, I mean, you're saying, well, you may look poor, you may be poor, but you're confessing. Confession. In other words, start agreeing with what God says. Let your agreement with God be stronger than what you see in your checkbook. You agree with God. Let the sick say, by his stripes you were, were healed. So what you do, you, you make a confession. What are you confessing? You, you, you know, you, you're not saying some kind of mantra to try to, I mean, this is not just keep saying it until you brainwash yourself. Just, just say, I'm agreeing with God. I'm going, to line my, I'm going to line my confession up with God. I'm going to agree with God. Now, I've told you this over and over, so it's, it's, it's to say the same thing about, you know, so I go, let the weak say I'm strong, let the poor say I'm rich, let the sick say I'm well. Let the, let the, per, the Christian that sin say what? Oh, I got you now. Okay, let's go through it again. Let the weak say I'm, let the poor say, see this is confessing. Who are they agreeing with? God. Okay, so let the weak, let's go again. Weak say I'm, poor say I'm, sick say I'm. And when you sin as a Christian, say what? See, okay, now this brings us to this. When a Christian sins, do they have to confess that sin in order to be forgiven? No. See, everybody didn't say that. Because you've been drinking from the wrong fountain. Does a Christian have to confess their sins in order to be forgiven? A resounding no. This is the grace difference. No. Because this is the Bible. Because Jesus, why? Because Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. So if he took away the sin of the world, did that include the one you just did? You're in the world? Okay, it took away that one. Took it away. So what are you confessing? Now, if you want to talk to Papa about it and confess it, there's good confession. But your confession is, I'm not doing this in order to be forgiven. I'm going to confess it because I am forgiven. Now, if it's bothering you and you want to talk to him about it, and I, I'm that guy, I've screwed up royally, okay, and I've talked to him about my screw-ups, my sins. I said, God, it kind of goes like this, God, I want to be that guy that just did that or said that or acted like that, or whatever the deal is. I, God, I don't want to be that guy. Help me not to be that man. I want to be your man. I want to, I want to uh, 
respond to things instead of reacting like I just did. I don't want to cuss that person out and wave at them one finger and talk about their mama when I don't really even know them just because they cut me off in traffic, whatever. Made me smoke my tires, you know, whatever. I mean, come on, you know, you know that's just a real human deal. People shoot each other in this country for stuff. I mean, a guy right down there in, in near Tampa the other day, this is past week, I mean, chased down a 16-year-old girl that cut him off accidentally. She said, cut him off the track and, and chased her all through down in Tampa, hemmed her up at a traffic light. She had her window down, bless her heart. She shouldn't have kept that thing rolled up. And he come in there, a grown 40-something-year-old man, and punched her in the face and damaged her face. Luckily, she still had the whereabouts to describe the car and some of the tag, and he hunted that dude down. <laughs> he got charged with that over getting cut off in traffic. Stuff in this life's going to bother you. It's going to make you angry. The Bible don't say I won't ever be angry. It just said be angry and sin not. Sometimes you just can't help being angry, but you can help sinning. And when that verse says be angry and sin not, it says uh, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. How does a Christian give place to them? The word place there is scabbard. Anybody know what a scabbard is? What's a scabbard? What is it? It's a place where you put a knife or a sword. In other words, it's a thing that holds a knife. So if I got a scabbard there, then I put the blade in the scabbard. It holds that's built for it. God says don't be angry. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place, a scabbard, for the devil to put his weapon in. Don't provide him a place. Don't do that. God's not saying I'm mad at you and ain't going to talk to you if you do that. God's just saying it's not wise to do that. Just don't do it. Don't provide a place for the enemy because he's always looking for opportunity. Remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, the Bible said the devil departed from him for a season and, and, and would come in another opportune moment. What was opportune about that for the devil? Jesus hadn't eaten 40 days. He, 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 was, he was tired. He was in the wilderness. He was in a dry place. He, he was hungry physically. And here comes Satan to take advantage of his physical weakness. When does the devil hit you? Does he hit you when you're at the top of the mountain? No, he comes when you're, you're vulnerable to that. Well, I don't know where I don't. Listen, he, he just says don't do it. The word confess means to agree with God. So then if we're going to go through that litany, let the weak say I'm strong, let the poor say I'm rich, let the sick say I'm well, then when the sinner sins, you don't confess your sins, you confess your righteousness. And your righteousness is not yours, it's his. So if you learn to live that way, if we're going to do all of it, let's just be consistent. So when you do sin, what you do confess is, you, you can say, you, you do it like you need to, just do it biblically. If you want to confess sin, do it because you are forgiven, not to get forgiveness. And I've told you this, in Romans 10, it tells you how to be born again as a Christian. It tells you how to be saved. It never mentions sin, not one word. Isn't that interesting? I wonder why there's a gaping mist in that. I wonder why the Bible telling people how to be born again doesn't mention the word sin. I guess the Holy Spirit didn't even know what he was doing. Isn't that interesting? But go to any church in Valdosta and ask them how to get saved. And I'd about bet you my truck they're going to tell you to confess your sins. They're going to throw that in there when the Bible never does. Acts 16, this is the story. This is the most clear one. Philippian jailer, he asked Paul the question, what must I do to be saved? Is that pretty clear? We got a heathen guy asking the Apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? Apparently Paul didn't know. Because Paul never mentioned sin to this dude. He never mentioned that he needed to confess his sin, bow his head, close his eyes. He didn't even tell him to say the sinner's prayer. Now, you know, I, you know, I love Joel Osteen. Man, if you're feeling bad, that brother makes you feel good. You know what I'm saying? But I need to talk to Joel about how he ends his show. Because even Joel, good as he is, 
he still tells you you need to confess your sins to get saved. He does it every show. And I'm like, Joel, I'm, I'm with you on just everything you said but that, dude. <laughs> that's just old habit. It ain't in the book. Please quit telling people that's how they got to do to get saved. He tells them to confess your sins, get in the Bible-believing church. He, every day, every broadcast. Because I know because Sister Jill listened to him while she's getting ready. But I'm still her favorite preacher. Don't make no mistake about it. <laughs> but you listen to it. Now, now y'all all be tuning in to Joel to see if he says everything. I'm telling you, he says it every program. He tells you this how to get saved. Get saved, confess your sin, all that. Listen, Joel, you got a lot more people listening to you than I do. Quit telling them, man. Quit making sin an issue that it's not with God. God's not mad with you. God has taken away all of your sin. You're not going through hell on earth because of your sin that ain't been paid for. Your sin's been paid for. Now, there's consequences, and you can do sin, and you can do things, and you can suffer for it, but God is not the author of your pain. He's the author of your grace and forgiveness. God's not causing that hurt to come to you. God doesn't will that hurt on you. God doesn't want that hurt on you. you as far as God's concerned, he says, peace on earth and goodwill toward all men. Why? Because the lamb that was taken away, the sin of the world, had been born in Bethlehem, and God was saying I'm the through the war's over I, I, I'm going to take sin on myself for God was in Christ reconciling the sin of the world unto himself not counting men's trespasses against them any longer and so God has not gotten any record of sin on you God doesn't have your prison record God doesn't have your sin debt your sin record your sin account has a zero balance right now with God God's not holding your sins against you because Jesus has removed those sins as far as the east is from the west now the only issue is with God is that you put faith in Jesus and be born again and now what happens then it's not that you receive forgiveness it's, to, it's that you start enjoying the benefit of that forgiveness and, and the most important thing that happens when you become a Christian is you are you, you are given life Jesus said I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly God wants you to have his life he, he doesn't give you some other person's life he takes his life and he gives it to you and what kind of life does it give you? Eternal life. And that's called eternal security. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Once you're born again, you can't get unborn. God don't unbirth his kids just because they have a bad day, bad week, bad month, or bad years. You steal his kid because you were born his kid. You may not look like his kid, act like his kid, talk like his kid, but you steal his kid. You might be a prodigal, go to the hog, pen wallow with the hog, smell like the hog, look like the hogs, but you steal a son. You're a prodigal son. You're prodigal, but you're still son. And if you die in the hog pen, you're going home to be with Papa. Amen? That's good news right there. See, it takes all the weapons out of the religious people's hands, you know, because they want God to get you, you know, and beat the fire out of you. And time you, you drag your butt. I mean, that ain't God. That ain't God. So confession means I'm going to agree with you, God. I'm going to agree with you. I got just a couple of minutes. I want to be careful about some of this. I never, it's never in my heart, and I never would intentionally, you know, because I want people to write us. I want people, if they, if they, I, I can't always get to it in maybe in a timely manner, but I, I'll eventually get to it. And, and I know that when somebody writes like this lady that just wrote us, wrote, uh, she came through the church uh, website, uh, great questions. Obviously, I wouldn't be talking about it. I mean, I think she just, I mean, it's great questions. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to answer those. And I hope I did a little bit of that today. We had somebody else write, and this this is a whole probably shouldn't even end with this. But but all I'm saying, let me just try to put it in a. So, someone wrote us and 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 uh, reached out to us, and, and and it breaks my heart because they were they were saying, you know, I, I need help with with um, with you know my kid. And they were saying, you know, the kids uh, struggling with this particular sin, and and uh, and, uh, and and they just they need help with it. And and the kid says, "Why would I serve a God that has condemned me?" And, and the kid's saying, "You know, uh, because of his sexual deal he's dealing with now. That in other words, that he was born that way." 
because that's a popular philosophy. I was born like this. Now God's condemned me uh, because of this sin. And why would I serve a God that's already condemned me, not for what I've done, but for who I am? Because this is the way I was born. And so I don't want nothing to do with the God. So here's a mom struggling. Well, how, do, how do I deal with this? How, how do I help my kid? And, 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 and in the things that were asked, unfortunately, there's several things that are just not true, but they're stated in, as truth. Now, number one, that God has condemned anybody. The Bible says God, the only person that God condemned was sin. And it says God condemned sin in the body of his son. In other words, Jesus, him knew no sin, became sin, and God condemned that sin, and Jesus bore the punishment and the pain, and he made the full payment for sin, noun, sin, right? And so God's not condemned anybody, okay? God, God's not condemned anybody. The, the second thing is what we have here is not so much that God made me that way. You can say something, just because you say it don't mean it's true. And just because I say something, I mean it's true. But the, if the Bible says it, it's true. But the issue is not your sin. The issue is your identity. Your, your identity is in God. We've got a lot of people that's confused. And like Pastor John was trying to reach out and help with this situation that I'm referring to. And, man, she had a great take on it. We were discussing it. And she said, you know, with this particular sin we're talking about here, that if everybody, you know, you know, just said this is the way we're going to be, then the whole world would die out in one generation. To it, the mother. I mean, the whole world, because men with men can't produce a kid, neither woman with woman. So, in other words, if, 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 if this is God, then God was dumb because you can't, you can't fulfill the first commandment he ever gave to a human be fruitful and multiply. You just got to think, man. God doesn't hate people. God loves you. And it, it don't matter what your deal is. He, he loves you. But when you really get connected with God and you get your identity, your identity is in Christ. And, and you, God's going to help you with all that, man. You just got to give people. I mean, I was raised up in a church that would quote a little a couple verses out of Romans 1, and they would tell people that were struggling with homosexuality or lesbianism, they couldn't even be born again. They were condemned and doomed by God. That God had turned them up. How many were raised in that kind of church? Come on, let's just be honest. We were raised in that kind of church. said, reprobate mine, believe a lie, and be damned, okay? I was raised like that. And I started a church in March 10th of 1991. Lo and behold, after a few years of pastoring, here I'm dealing with it. Even back then, I had people in my church. I had a guy in my church. I had people that struggled with that over the years. And it's a whole different deal. You know, all your little glib threatenings. I, I mean, that stuff, that's just not the gospel. It's just not the gospel. And I remember as a pastor just, but you know, you, you, you got to have a heart after God to help people. And help them find their identity in Christ. And I have seen, I'll just say several, I'm going to just be several that, I've, that God has totally changed their lives. And they got their identity back and realized who they are in Christ. But you got to give people time. You can't walk up to a person one day and holler change and just because they don't just he-hauled everything you said in that moment and you're going to condemn them and then they're not saved. Or, it's, just, it's just not that way. And then you want to make one sin the capital sin. You understand in the Bible adultery was, was a capital sin that you punished by death under the law. <laughs> well, if we were living under that, there'd be a lot thinner places around here. You know what I'm saying? Right? It'd be some of us in this room wouldn't be here. And if we all went by Jesus' standard, if you ever looked and lusted, you were in adultery, they wouldn't none of us be here. <laughs> right? It's called you having mercy. Because God's been merciful to us by giving us grace. Jesus has paid the price. And and and, and we live in a world that is is really different <laughs> it is different than the one I was raised in totally different and I understand it guys it's scary different for a lot of us that front row right there filled with them grandbabies it makes me wonder you know the world that they are they'll see more of it than I will 
you know, I'm, I'm getting close to the end. They, they just getting started. But I, I want them to know that the power of God, presence of God, glory of God, but more the, God's amazing grace. And that's why that book means so much. I, I, uh, maybe God will help me Crawford is on <laughs> to write another one. But God's grace, I had lunch with Phil, Wade Phil, so I ain't making up somebody. Man, I love that guy. He's got an awesome testimony. Uh, it's an awesome testimony. And uh, where God's brought him from in his life. And, and I, I'm, I'm so glad for him. Uh, and uh, he, he just loves grace, man. He is just... <laughs> And he was talking about, we just had lunch this week, and he was talking about uh, a family member, I believe, that was here visiting or something, and, and Phil got my book to him. And I'm not trying to push the book. I'm trying to push the message that's in the book. And he said, this guy, you know, he said, that Phil just said the guy was just sitting in his house and just flipping the pages, man, and, and just, it just it changed the guy's life. And I think he's back up where in Rhode Island or somewhere, you know, and, 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 and uh, I hope I got a, a voice now in Rhode Island. <laughs> You know, they're spreading that message. Because most people, when they, when they first, because they've not, that, that's why people don't want to come to church because they've already been. <laughs> but when they've heard the good news of the gospel, I keep seeing these posts on Facebook. You know, they'll show like, uh, the other day I watched, and they showed a picture of Joel Osteen's church. I knew it was his. It was real clear that was his church, packed full, you know. They said, this is what it looks like when you tell people what they want to hear. And then they had another picture of a church and hardly had nobody in there, about three or four people, you know, empty pews as far as you can see. And they said, this is what church looks like when you tell them the truth. That's real popular. You see that post go around Facebook a lot. And then they quoted, you know, the verse, you know, that in the last days men will have tickling, tickling ears, you know, desiring them, their ears to be tickled, you know, turning them into fables and that kind of stuff. And, you know, and, and, and this is their mindset, that if you tell them the truth. <laughs> no, see, you're not telling them the truth. You're telling them the law. You're preaching law, and that's what a church looks like that's preaching law. Now, I wish this place had every chair filled. And the only reason it's not because they still don't know what we're preaching. And so I'll just end with this. That's up to you to help me get this message out. Give them the book. If you can't afford to buy the book, you've got somebody needs to give, you tell me, I'll give you the book. Okay, we got books. If you want the book and you can't afford the book, books what? What is it, John? I don't even know what we're doing. $20. I'm telling you, if you're here today and you need the book, want the book, you ain't read the book, you need to read the book because I'm your pastor. You need to say, I read my pastor's book. <laughs> but after you read the book, you need to hand it to somebody that needs that message in that book. But I'm telling you, because they, and that's why I were entitled it that, you know, missed, heard in church. I grew up hearing that all the time and that were, they were not true. They were not true. And, and it will change their view of God, which then will change their view of themselves, which will change their view of others. And it will change their life when they realize what a good, good father that we actually do have, that you have been forgiven. And a lot of times in my, just living my life, I do what I've told you all several times. I just, I'll just burst out and say it. I, sometimes if I'm by myself where nobody thinks think I'm a nut, I'll just say it out loud where I can hear it. I'll say, thank you, Father, for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that I am healed by your stripes. I say that often out loud where my own ears can hear it. And man, I always just feel so good after saying that. I just say, thank you for loving me. Thank you that you have forgiven me. And when I say that to him, I mean stuff I ain't done yet. <laughs> That's a good feeling. I'm totally forgiven. I am eternally forgiven. I'm, I'm as forgiven as a forgiven can be. And then I say, thank you that, that I am healed. By your strength. And sometimes in my body, my body's telling me different. But I've got to line my confession up with what God says about my body. And what if it don't respond? It'll respond after a while. Just keep saying it, keep believing it. And sometimes I'll talk to my body because it needs to be talked to. It talks to me, I'll talk to it. And I'll just lay my hands on my stomach and I'll say, I command you in Jesus' name to agree with what God says about you. I command you to stop hurting me. I command the root cause of this, you know, and I just talk to it. Just talk to it. And just confess the word of God. Amen. There's power in that. Stand to your feet.
Give God praise if there was anything good said. 11.59. Addie, could you wait just a minute? Are you leaving now, Addie, or are you going to stay? Okay. Addie, do you want to tell them what you got for Christmas or anything? Or? Okay. Lachlan, do you want to tell them what you got for Christmas? You brought your baby. To, you didn't even check your baby in the nursery. You just brought the baby right into church. Poppy bought that baby for her. It's one that I, I've had to take a, I walked by the, the, yesterday and a couple of times I actually thought that's a real kid there and I was like, I had to catch myself because it looked so real. It's really called a real life looking baby or some deal. I don't know. But uh, she loved it. She brought it to church. Hallelujah. That's one more attendance. Hallelujah. We got one more in the chair. <laughs> Next Sunday, all y'all bring all your stuff and we'll just fill this place up. Amen. We love you guys. And uh, thank you for being here today. I'm, I'm really blessed. My goodness, so many people here. And uh, I'm touched by that. And thank you for, for coming the day after Christmas. I started to post, you know, yesterday, and I did post last night that we were having church because I had some people, you know, are we having church or not and whatever. And, and yeah, well, yeah, we're having church. And, but, uh, but I wanted to post like, okay, if you got what you wanted for Christmas, just come and we were, you know, the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. So we were going to rejoice with you. If you didn't get what you want, then mourn with those who mourn. And we, we will be the Lord's hand in comforting you that are brokenhearted, you know. And, uh, but I'm being silly. But we, we do love you. Thank you uh, for being here. We're looking forward, man, to, for 2022. I'm ready for 2021, honestly, to kind of get, get on out of here. And uh, in a lot of ways, I know it's been a, lot, a tough year on a lot of people. But, but I'm so excited about 2022, aren't you? And just believing for, for God's uh, grace to just be revealed in such an awesome, awesome way. I'm, I'm serious about that. Invite people to church. I mean, that's the biggest way they're going to come, guys. Just personally reach out to them. we got so many. I mean, now you used to have to walk across the street, you know, talk to a guy. But now you don't have to. And there's always people, you know, just, and I'm not trying to say I'm all that in a bag of chips kind of deal, but I, I found out a few days ago, I mean, we had this neighbor. I got a few houses down, this older gentleman. And I was having armadillos eating my yard up, kind of a deal, you know. And if I was in the country, I'd just be breaking out the guns and just set up all night. But I can't do it where I live, you know. <laughs> I'll be in jail, you know. Local pastor locked up for firing a gun. <clears throat> but I, uh, he, I found out from another neighbor that this guy had built a trap, and you got to have a wood trap, they say. And anyway, so I went down there and. And the guy was real gracious to let me use his armadillo trap. I never caught anything, but I did use it for a month. <laughs> I moved it around the yard a lot, you know, and say that. But he was just so kind to do that. And so I told my wife, as Christmas approached, you know, I said in early December, I said, I want to get them, get them something, you know, just to show our gratitude for being so kind and loaning me the trap. He had to go up in his attic and get it, you know, and pull his stairs down. I went up and helped him tote it down, but because it's pretty heavy. And then I found out just the other day that his wife had passed unexpectedly. And I'd see her go out and check her mail and stuff. And, and, uh, and so I just walked down there the other day and knocked on the door. And, you know, you could tell he was just heartbroken. He said, I wasn't expecting her to die. He said she had some stents put in right out here. And they told me they were going to put the stents in and I could take her home the next day. And then that night she just started bleeding in her belly and just left here. And he's just heartbroken. He told me how many years they've been married and so forth. And, and of course, I, I told him, I said, I brought this for you, you know, because we'd actually bought it, you know, uh, before your wife passed. But and, and I just sat in his house for a while. And the guy told me about his life and, and how long they'd been married. And you could just see it, you know. And, and it was hard. Me and my wife talked about it several times yesterday. It was just hard yesterday. I was just hoping that he, you know, maybe that his kids. And I know he's got some family, some, you know, I've seen, been seeing them there, but. You know, let's just be mindful of what's around you. Because well, there's always ministry opportunities for us. And you don't got to be no preacher. Just walk down there. And I, in fact, we, I never mentioned the word church, preacher, or nothing to that guy. Just, you know, and it meant a lot to him, he said, for me to come down there. And, uh, you know, I didn't try to wrangle the guy or nothing. You know, I just wanted to know that, that our heart was touched by hearing that his wife had passed. And, and I told him, I said, man, I'm really serious. And I told him twice. I said, if you need help around here now, you need help, you know, with the yards or getting the straw off the roof, or just, I said, please call me. And I said, I'm serious about that. I really want to help you if, if, if you need help. And, uh, you know, just help you look after some things around here. 
because his health ain't super great, you know. And uh, but we got a lot of opportunity to love people, and just and, and people so desperately need to hear the grace message, and just invite them to church, and just and if you don't do anything, just send them a message through Facebook or whatever your deal is, and just tell them to listen to us online. I think sometimes that if they listen to the message and realize what we're preaching here, then they'll want to come. Amen. I mean, they'll they'll want to be in the in the house of the Lord and be be connected. Okay, is that fair enough? All right, Father. I, Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have forgiven us. Thank you that by your stripes we were healed. I thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace that is so amazing to us. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you want prayer, you can come down here. I'll wait on you. God bless you.